Hi, everyone. It's week two of Pride Month. Throughout the month of June, you can expect to hear incredible conversations with book-loving guests from the LGBTQIA community. On each of these episodes, my guests and I will chat about a story that made a significant impression, sometimes good, sometimes bad, on them in their younger years. This week, we turn our focus to a YA novel published in 2003, Keeping You a Secret by Julie Ann Peters. It's the story of perfectionist high school senior Holland, who is losing patience with the pressure she's under from many of the people in her life, especially her mom and her boyfriend, Seth. When she meets a new student named Cece, who is out and proud, she finds herself questioning everything, her worldview, her plans for the future, the people she surrounds herself with, and her sexuality. Keeping You a Secret is ultimately a love story between Holland and Cece, but it's not without its speed bumps. Cece wants Holland to keep their relationship a secret, making Holland's journey to come out all the more complicated. She has to navigate scary, and in some cases, traumatic, conversations with her friends and family. For this reason, I'll note a trigger warning for this episode, as the book touches on homophobia, homophobic slurs, and negative experiences with coming out. We dive into all of this on episode 99. We also have broader conversations about the lack of queer love stories in the mainstream YA market in decades gone by, and my guests and I discuss where keeping you a secret fits in with other coming out narratives. My guest is Allison Punch, a reader, writer, and Michigander living in the D.C. area. She was awarded the Deacon McCubin Young Writers Award in 2016. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in Argot Magazine and Breadcrumbs Magazine. She reviews books on Instagram at AllisonReadsDC, and you can follow her on Twitter at AJPunch. You'll hear more about Allison's personal connection to keeping you a secret in just a few minutes, but I can let you know up front that it's played a very meaningful role in her life, and I feel extremely grateful to have had the chance to explore it with her. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you also to everyone who has left a five-star rating or review of the podcast on iTunes. Especially during Pride Month, I'm eager to spread the word about the show to book lovers far and wide, and SSR becomes more visible to more people when there are more ratings and reviews. Basically, the more the merrier. If you haven't left a rating or review yet and you're a big fan of the show, it would mean so much to me if you took a few moments to leave one. You can even do it while you listen. Now is also a great time to make sure that you're following SSR on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. We have a private group page called The SSR Podcast Community that I'm really trying to ramp up lately. Check it out. I'd love to see you there for some more extensive conversation about books and SSR episodes. If you want to take your SSR fandom to an even more extreme level, you may want to learn more about becoming a Patreon supporter. Patrons contribute a few dollars every month, as little as just one dollar, to the production of the podcast, and they get some exclusive rewards in return. At various sponsorship levels, you can get everything from SSR merch and input on book selection to newsletters and bonus episodes. Learn more at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Thanks so much to all of the patrons tuning in to episode 99. Your contributions go a long way, and I appreciate you. This is the part of the intro where I tell you about Libra FM, but given what's happening in the world right now, I'd love for you to really pause and consider what I'm suggesting here. As you may already know, Libra FM is an amazing platform that allows you to support independent bookstores with the purchase of the same audiobooks that you can get from bigger companies. They're the same price, too. As you shop for audiobooks there, I would encourage you to support Black-owned bookstores. Here are a few Black-owned indies that are currently partnered with Libra FM. Semicolon Bookstore, Source Booksellers, Uncle Bobby's Books, and Loyalty Books. I recently downloaded White Fragility through Libra FM, and I'm looking forward to reading it and sharing my thoughts with you. Let's come together to support these independent booksellers. And now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. 
You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Allison. Welcome to SSR. Thank you, Allie. It's so good to be here. We are back for week two of our first ever Pride Month, and we are talking about Keeping You a Secret by Julie Ann Peters, which was not a book that was on my radar, and having read it now, I am thrilled that you introduced me to it. So I'd love if we could get started with you just sharing a little bit maybe about your personal history with this book and why you decided to suggest it for the show. Again, thank you for doing so. Um, Yeah, just take me back to how you discovered it and maybe how it influenced you. Sure. So I am, it was actually very empowering for me to choose this book. And it's hard because it's, it's hard to talk about this book without talking about like a lot of obviously my personal history, but I guess that's why we talk about books we read as kids. Um, so for me, the first Julianne Peters book I read was Define Normal. I think someone I was friends with read it. And then I just ended up reading all of her book or almost all of her books. Um, and I just loved this book. But what's funny about it is like, I'm very openly out now. But in high school, I really did truly believe that I was straight. And I didn't come out until like late college. And so for me, it was kind of I actually reread this book shortly after coming out in college. So like, I don't know, six, seven, I don't remember how many years ago. Um, and at the time that I reread it then as a college student, it was very embarrassing to me that I could love this book so much and then not really understand why I loved it so much. Like mm-hmm. I was one of those people, which is actually a more common experience than I, I realized, but it's like, you know, we're just so inspired by the courage of like young people who can live, live live their truth. And actually, I just didn't know what was going on within me um, at the time. And so it's really fun to return to it now, like not only being out and being proud, but also being accepting that that was my journey, that this is the thing that this is who I was in high school. And this is really, truly something that I just thought was a fun book to read, but I didn't really realize all the ways that it was touching me at the time. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing. As I was reading it, I was thinking like, okay, I don't know that we can talk about this book without getting personal. So I'm so grateful that you're open and happy to share. I will say that when I found out that this book was published in 2003, I was shocked because it was, as I said, not on my radar at all. And I was 13 and 2003. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, obviously the book world is different now and that we're not getting like Instagram notifications about what new books are coming out. And if you're like a kid who loves to read, you can't follow book bloggers and like see early reviews. But I do think that I was fairly aware of new books that were coming out. Um, And so I thought it was interesting that I was not at all aware of Julianne Peters or of this book. And when I think about it, I am, you know, aware enough of how I grew up to say that I grew up in what I would say is a very progressive household, but not at all in a progressive Mm -hmm. community. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say the middle and high schools that I attended were fairly conservative socially. And so it doesn't really surprise me if I'm actually being like critical of 
those phases of my life that like, this is not a book that maybe would have been passed Definitely. around. Right. And I was like, wow, this book, this is a fairly early, I would say in the history of right. YA for this kind of a queer love story to hit the scene. And I'm so glad it did. And I'm so glad that I'm finally aware of it. And hopefully we're putting it on other people's radars mm-hmm. that they can share it with the young people in their lives. And I, I just was really impressed. I'll say upfront. I mean, there were things about it kind of like as a book that I didn't love as much, uh-huh. but I was really impressed with the message that it shared at a lot of different levels. And I, yeah, I mean, I feel like a broken record saying it, but I do just hope that this book, even though it's now sort of old, which is weird, um, I hope it's finding its way into the hands of kids because I think, especially when I hear your story, I think it could probably be very empowering. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to think about, like, I also grew up in a pretty, in in a a progressive area. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so it was, you know, college town and, and, pretty, pretty liberal. Um, I graduated from high school in 2010. So this was sort of my, like maybe a little bit older for like came out. I don't know. And, um, I'm trying to think, I know that I did have a friend who was out when we were in high school and I think she might have read it. I think I probably, you know, my parents bought it for me at the, for me at the Barnes and Noble. This is the same copy that I've had since I was young. That's so um, cool. Oh my but I, I'm trying, right. I'm trying to like, remember even, did they even pay, like, did it, they pay attention to the cover and I don't know if we have the same cover, but my cover has two girls sort of lying. And, um, there's just like a lot of think pieces out there about like queer YA and, and covers and how, what that means in terms of censorship and like safety for young, um, LGBTQ people to be able to read those books. Yeah. I just like loved it. And I think I was excited to talk about it with you too, because I'm sure so often on the podcast, like the question of how does it hold up? Like, is it problematic? And to me, it's not like it really is just like very pure and sweet and touching. And there were certainly things that I caught onto when I read it again as an adult, but it's still kind of, it holds up for me personally. Yeah. I mean, again, having not read it as a kid, I can't, I don't know that I can answer my usual question that I ask myself and my guests about like, does it hold up? But I agree with you that there's nothing sort of like glaringly problematic. And in a book like this, like that seemed very likely to me. Um, I think what's also worth acknowledging is that I get a lot of questions from listeners of the podcast about things like, you know, when are you going to cover a queer love story on the podcast? And I'll say that this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but the truth is that we do cover these Mm -hmm. quote unquote literary throwbacks on the podcast. And the fact is that there aren't that many of them. Um, and the ones that are out there aren't necessarily easy to find. And, um, I'm aware that that sounds a little bit like a cop out that they're not easy to find, but it's just the fact of the matter. And so I'm so happy again, that you introduced this to me and that we're able to discuss it. When I saw the cover, I think I might have a newer edition than you. So it looks actually like a newer design. So I thought, Oh, maybe it's on the newer side, but 2003, I was like, great. Like this is exactly the kind of book Mm -hmm. that listeners Mm -hmm. have been wanting to hear about. And I feel kind of silly for not knowing about it. But I just think that unfortunately, like these are not the kinds of books that are popping up on like BuzzFeed lists of like 10 books that will make you remember your childhood or like 12 teen love stories that make you swoon. Um, That's just not it's not happening. Right. And it's funny because like I can think back to the lists even in 2012, 2013, when I was first like doing my research into like, who am I and what is my sexuality? And like the list, it was like Annie on my mind and like Ruby Fruit Jungle. And I can't think of that many other like lesbian books that were 
on lists. So even just thinking back, how you know, that's not even 10 years ago. And so there has been so much literature that I think I agree with you. It's not necessarily what's being published. It's what's being publicized because that's like a key difference. Like people have always been writing this story, but have they been getting the budgets of like the John Greens of the world? Not as much, but now hopefully more so. Yeah, it makes me think of um, when Red, White, and Royal Blue came out, how Mm -hmm. Casey McQuiston was, like, very adamant about the fact, like, I know that you guys think that I'm pioneering this queer love story, but I'm not. I'm just following in this greater tradition of these amazing authors who have been Mm -hmm. doing this work for years. And so I think it's worth noting um, as we get into this conversation. The other thing that I want to note before we get into sort of more plot stuff with this book, I do want to note a trigger warning um, about this book. There is a great deal of homophobia, um, homophobic slurs in particular, and some really negative coming out experiences that I just want to acknowledge before we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also want to note that as potentially some of these terms come up in our conversation, they, of course, don't represent um, words or terminology that I would use or that you would use or that anybody representing this podcast would use. Um, Unfortunately, the experience that our main character, Holland, goes through in discovering her sexuality and kind of figuring out how to communicate that with the people around her is not a positive one all the time. And she does live in a very conservative community where people don't always use nice words. So I just want to kind of lay that groundwork before we get started and talk about Holland. What did it feel like to you to get back in touch with Holland as an adult? Did you relate to her as a kid? Like, were you a Holland? Were you not? I don't know. That's such a good question. I can't even think. I mean, I definitely think I admired her when I first read it because she kind of like is very independent. I really admire her independence. And I think like the way that like, it's funny because there is a lot of nostalgia for me in reading this book. Like I can picture her basement and how I pictured it as a kid. And like, it's still like the same image. It, It was, which is so funny because it's not necessarily you know, like a fully realized, like there's no scene where she's like deeply describing what the basement looks like. But I think that's the benefit of like a book that doesn't become a movie because I still have that sort of pure, you know, like down there where she lives. Um, I, I really like Colin. I think that she's just a very sweet person who's just trying to figure out her life. I think I, I do relate to her now as an adult, like looking back and seeing all of this, like very clear signs where she's like, I mean, I've had crushes on girls, but who doesn't? And it's like, oh, Holland, like I was you. And I think at the time when I read it as a kid um, or as a teen, rather, it, it resonated, but I just didn't necessarily fully understand why. There are a lot of parts of Holland's experience that I can't relate to and that I'm not going to pretend to relate to, but I will say that there are parts of her personality that I Uh very much was in touch with, which was interesting. Um, And so I think being able to relate to her on those levels and then kind of standing back and watching her weather these experiences that were so different from my own, my wheels were turning because I could so feel for her in the way that she was reacting to things and in the way that she was feeling certain kinds of pressures and then layering on these other challenges that she was facing as she was learning more about herself. I was like, I would have it would have broken me just Mm -hmm. because especially at her age I was such a people pleaser she's really bearing the brunt of so much pressure especially from her mom Mm -hmm. Um, and I did not feel that level of pressure because I think her mom is really pinning all of her hopes and dreams of her unrealized potential on her daughter Mm -hmm. but I 
did feel a lot of pressure from everyone around me when I was a teen. And I think a lot of it, if I'm being honest, was like in my head. You know, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I, again, because I have these people pleasing tendencies, I was like, the only way I can like make other people happy is by being amazing, which in hindsight is so absurd. It's still something that I work on, but it's absurd. (laughs) So I related to a lot of those parts of her life. And then, you know, seeing her kind of begin to like dismantle this identity that she thought belonged to her and sort of like process the fear associated with other people hearing the truth, I could like feel how hard that must be. And I think she also is experiencing a lot of shifting family dynamics, which is something that I dealt with when I was younger than she is. Holland's 17 when we meet her. She's a senior in high school. And my family was shifting more when I was younger. Um, But her mom's recently married a guy named Neil. And there's a stepsister named Faith where there's some like weird dynamics going on Mm -hmm. there. And then there's a new baby. Um, And I understood sort of like the tension sometimes of being like, okay, well, I'm the oldest sibling and then I have these siblings that are a lot younger than I am and I'm not sure what my role is and it's hard sometimes to have this big age gap in a family so there were bits and pieces of her that just felt very spot on with how I felt in high school definitely I love that thank you for sharing I think I sometimes struggle with remembering like putting myself in my own shoes as a high school student and I think some of it is because just like the ways that I've learned about myself and who I thought I was then versus who I am now and who I'm very proud to be now is just very radically different. And so I sometimes struggle with even remembering what I was like, but I was such a people pleaser as well. I drove myself fucking crazy in high school. And, and I still do it. So I don't know why I'm saying like, oh, back then, but absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes I think about how I felt so stressed in high school. Like, <laughs> if you only knew what was coming. <laughs> if I only knew it was coming, like, I just have these very clear memories of like getting to the lockers with my friends and being like, ugh, I'm so stressed out. Like, I have my yeah. test in college. Right. And I think I just threw that word around like it was confetti. And I'm so glad that I've realized now that, like, if I were to use the word stressed every time I like felt stress, I, I would never, I would That's never so stop funny. using mm-hmm. it. So I really related to Holland on that point. Also, I'm just going to say, this is like the coolest name for a main character ever. Her name is Holland Jaeger or Holland Jagger. I'm not sure. I love it either way. I love it too. I love all the names in the book. Yeah, I do too. So what were your first impressions of Cece? When we meet Cece, she's the new girl at school. Holland kind of has like an immediate vibe about her. But as we've mentioned, she's like kind of on the straight and narrow path with school. She has this boyfriend, Seth, who we need to talk about. She's very focused on what comes next. And then Cece comes along and kind of throws everything off. What were your thoughts on her as an adult? I love I mean I love Cece and it's funny reading Cece now and just seeing like the ways in which I know these Cece's and I see these young Cece's and it's just like you are so much like you have to wear the t-shirt every single day and it's like I kind of roll my eyes at it now but like I understand what it's like to be young and to be proud and like just to want people to know like yes I'm a lesbian and it's just so funny because I think like a lot of I didn't I don't know that I experienced this with being queer as much as I did like with a fe- with feminism or like when you're a young person and you really start coming into um like having a social justice lens to things and you can be really not aggressive I don't like it's not a negative connotation but you're just like really eager to share that part of yourself and like your beliefs and your your strong convictions with the world and it is 
it's not to say that as you get older that you lose your convictions, because I really don't believe that's a fair characterization. But it does become, I guess, more subtle or more nuanced. Like it's it's not as many people going around every single day wearing these T-shirts. And so she does seem very young to me in that sense. But I just adore her. However, and I don't know if we're allowed to when we're supposed to be getting into spoilers Spoil or not. away. It's, it's been so. 17 years, everyone. If you <laughs> wanted to read the book spoiler-free, you could have read it at any point over the last so, 17 years. Okay, great. Thank you. So I really love Cece at the beginning of the book, but then by the end of it, and I this is a shift from how I read it as a, as a younger person, I really, I disagree. I, I felt very frustrated with Cece. I felt like by the end, I felt like she was a little bit um, manipulative and unfair. And I understand why Holland and her, you know, end up together and why Holland gets over what Cece does. But it just, it felt just very selfish, which again, teenagers are selfish. That's normal. But it was a very frustrating experience to me to see that happen and to think like Holland did kind of deserve someone who was able to put her own issues aside and support Holland coming out, which Cece did not do. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was, as I was gathering some of my notes and putting together my thoughts before we talked today, I had a similar kind of like nagging feeling in my gut about Cece. I really liked her as a character at the beginning. This sounds so silly, but I loved this thing where like every morning she was drinking coffee and eating donuts at her locker because yep. to me, that's just cool. I mean, in right. high she school, I cool just, she yeah. does what she wants to do. She's right. like, I want to eat the donuts, so I'm going to eat the donuts and that's fine. And I'm the new girl and this is who I am. I'm the girl who eats donuts every morning. She bosses her parents around, which I never had the courage to do. Yeah, some of the parental dynamics, well, the parental dynamics in this book are all over the place. Place. Um, and hers with her parents are very strange. So I thought that Cece was a really interesting character up front. And I thought it was really interesting the way that Julianne Peters kind of set her up as this very proud, very open character, because I think Holland needed somebody like that mm-hmm. in order to sort of like come to terms with herself. Because as we mentioned, she really, you know, kind of plays with this idea of like, oh, I've had girl crushes, but like no big deal. And so right. I think she needed somebody like Cece who's able to like very much hold her hand and be like, no, like I am a proud lesbian. I am out. And this is what that looks like. And let me mm-hmm. help you with that. I think if it had been anybody else, it would have been harder to believe that Holland could have gotten in touch with that part of herself so quickly. I don't know right. if that makes sense. No, I think it's very, I think it's accurate. But what made me sad about Cece later in the book is that I felt like she turned into one more person who was controlling Holland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that Holland seems to have the tendency to gravitate toward people, especially romantic partners, who are very controlling to her. And I I wonder how much of that comes from the fact that she was raised by this mother who is very controlling. But the boyfriend that we see her with through much of the book is Seth. And he, I, I sort of feel like like the author wants to set him up as like kind of sympathetic so that we're supposed to feel bad for him when Holland breaks up with him. But like, I kind of thought he sucked from the beginning. Oh yeah. He was terrible. I did not find him to be a good guy in any respect. And he was controlling her primarily sexually. I mean, he was very aggressive about the pants around the ankles. Yeah. I mean, it was just like constant, like anytime he could sort of potentially maybe proposition her, he was like right there. And he just was not picking up what she was laying down in terms of signals that like, I'm not really that into it. Um, And they had been having sex before. So it's not as if it was her first time, but she 
she was very clearly like not feeling it anymore and he was not respectful of that and so she went from that relationship where it really seemed like he wanted to control a lot of her time he wanted to control her future he wanted them to go to the same college and he sort Mm -hmm. of had this whole schedule laid out for them and then like you said at a certain point in the story after this honeymoon phase between Holland and Cece it was like Cece laid out these rules like I need you to keep this a secret. I don't want people to know what's going on between us. And of course, we find out later where that's coming from. And I thought that was sort of lame. But anyway, she also was kind of like controlling her time in different kinds of ways. Um, So it made me sad for Holland because I was so happy for her to get out of this clearly toxic relationship with Seth. She was obviously not happy with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seemed like there was potential for things to be so much better with Cece, and then Cece let us down a little bit. She really does, and that's what the difference between for me between reading it younger and now. It's like I started out this book thinking, oh, this is just this pure romantic, like happy queer love story. I mean, I always I remembered that it was a coming out narrative, and I remembered the things with Holland's mom, but Cece really was someone who had not dealt with her own trauma from her past relationship and then takes it out on Holland in like really unhealthy ways. And again, young people do that constantly. Like teenagers don't have the tools to not, I mean, do this, but I just really, I was similar to you, sad for Holland. Yeah, and I think once Cece starts talking about her reasons for wanting their relationship to be a secret, it comes out that at her old school, she'd kind of been the coming out guru for everyone in Mm -hmm. the LGBTQ club. And I would imagine, again, like I can't speak to this experience personally, but I would imagine that that's probably a role that kids play if they are out and proud as Cece is. And I thought that was cool, but it sort of shifted from... This was a role that I played in my old school. A lot of my friends leaned on me and were able to look to me for help, and that felt really good. To So now it's my job to tell you, my girlfriend, how to come out, how to communicate with your own friends and family who I don't quite frankly know, and how to like successfully and comfortably move into this next phase of your life. It felt like very sh- like a sharp contrast to me between the two things. And it also just didn't feel that true to Cece's character from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing about it too is like there's this, I don't know, desire to like have completely melded lives. Like I can understand where Holland is coming from, wanting to know more about the theater troupe but I can also understand why CC like it's a normal healthy thing for CC to say like I don't want you to join my theater troupe because I want to have my own hobbies outside of you and my own friends outside of my relationship but that's not what happens here it's exactly like CC had wanted to play this role or she had been playing this role where she was sort of like yeah the queen and the president of the club and all this stuff and then it 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 broke her. It, she got her heart broken because of it. And so rather than find ways to sort of navigate healthy boundaries and each establish their own lives, while she mentored Holland, she sort of told Holland to do something that wasn't helpful for CC's ends rather than like for out of respect for what Holland needed at the time. Yeah, it, it just made me sad because I feel like she kind of robbed Holland of being able to 
be comfortable. And Holland like really needed to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was so out of her element and she didn't know how to have these conversations with the people that she cares about, especially her mom. And that ends up being such a disaster. So I thought that it was just, it made me, it made me sad that that's how Cece ended up at the end. Although I have high hopes that maybe she could turn around. I think generally you also mentioned something about this melding of their lives. And that was something like as an adult, I was like, oh, guys, please stop, stop. I mean, don't do it. It was like, well, of course we need to be living together. And Cece being in a fight with her parents about the fact that they won't let her move in with Holland when she moves into this housing community. Right? Like, it's just not appropriate. And then they're like getting a job together. And it just felt very quick. And I've I've read, you know, similar storylines in other YA books. And I'm just as upset about it in all of those books. It has nothing to do with it being a straight love story versus a queer love story. I think it's so unhealthy. And it was presented in this book as very quote unquote normal. And I, I wish that the author had sort of focused on opening up the conversation about queer relationships rather than normalizing this kind of like mm. all-consuming 24-7 sort of like nesting kind of relationship between one 17-year-old and one 16-year-old. We haven't even mentioned the fact that Cece is actually a year younger than Holland, which I think is worth noting because it's sort of like an extra testament to how confident she is, like the fact that she's the one right. who's mentoring Holland. But these are very young kids. And so I sort of wish that the author had like pulled back on that. And maybe it's just because I'm an adult like I see these Definitely. signs of them becoming codependent and I like have red flags going up all over the place and I'm like this is not going in a good direction um but I I feel like if that had been toned down a little bit the story would have been that much better for it yeah I mean I agree I think it's very common in lesbian relationships for those sorts of things to happen I don't necessarily think that it's healthy I think that it's easier it's, it's especially common in young, you know, young women, like young lesbians. It's not something that I have ever necessarily experienced. So like, I don't want to talk super negatively about it. But I think it is just like, it's hard when you're falling in love to s- combine your lives so fully, because that intense passion that they're feeling for each other, right, that's not going to be like, it's, it's, how does that translate into your real life? How does that translate in your day to day? Holland can't even tell her friends because she does. First of all, she doesn't know how to. And second of all, Cece told her not to. So she's literally losing her friends over this relationship. And I think Leah is the best friend, right? That's her name. Yeah. I think like, I disagree with Leah somewhat, but I also, I do empathize with Leah's reaction to feeling so, so left out. It wasn't about Leah, but I understand why she felt that she was left out. So it's just, it's tricky because I don't agree similar to you that 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 was the right thing for Holland and Cece, but I completely understand why young women did that. Yeah. And I think it's more like a function of being a grown up, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would imagine that a lot of people who have gone through that themselves might have a similar reaction and might look at hindsight in a similar way. I don't want to, and I can't speak to that experience, but I would imagine that that's very much just a function of like those extra years that we've now lived. Uh, for better or worse. Yes. Yes, As we are both now quarantined with our partners. Um, (laughs) 
I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of Holland and Cece's relationship. And I I was thinking a lot about this and about, you know, to be honest, I have not read as many queer love stories as I would like to have read. It's something that I'm continuing to work on and trying to seek out those stories and seek out those voices. But I would say the few queer love stories that I've read or movies that I've watched that involve coming out stories have not necessarily depicted somebody who was able to get so comfortable with their sexuality mm-hmm. so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm certainly not criticizing or questioning. It was more just an observation. And maybe it's actually a criticism of all of these other stories that I've read where like the trope is that it's very difficult to become mm-hmm. comfortable mm-hmm. and it takes months and months for you to be able to physically be intimate with your new person. But I did note that this was probably the fastest that I've ever read or watched a character who is early on in their understanding their sexuality to get so comfortable. I love that moment where Holland is like, you know, and I don't remember the word, I should have dog-eared it, but it's, she's like, no, I know I'm not bisexual. Like I know I'm a lesbian. And I think there's nothing wrong with being bisexual at all. I just like love that moment where it's just so clear to her. Um, so I love the way you put it because it is not necessarily some, it's, it's my issue with queer literature or maybe not queer literature, but like coming out literature is just, it's just frustrating to constantly have all love stories that I can think of are coming out stories or all, I really can't think of any queer women stories that don't have a cis man in them at some point. Like Mm -hmm. I can't think of a single one. And I had a whole conversation on Instagram and it was so hard for other people to come up with one. And those are very real experiences that a lot of folks have, but it's just, it is not, you know, it's not always a matter of like this deep personal anguish for years. I think a lot of us did have that. I certainly had that, but it's like, what does it mean when that's the only representation in literature is this deep shame around it. And of course, shame shows up in this book because of the whole, I mean, it is keeping you a secret. Like CC ends up asking Holland to keep it a secret and she does and there's you know sort of shame built in there but I love that moment where she just says like no I know I'm a lesbian I know what I feel for Cece I've never felt this for anyone else before and I've always been this way I love it she's tormented about her relationships with other people and she's tormented about what coming out might mean for her but she's not at all tormented about what she feels for Cece and even Mm -hmm. what that means physically like they have their first kiss and it's like boom off to the races we are immediately comfortable making out which I loved because as you said it's sort of a a different way of telling the story than other stories that I've seen watched read because it's like yeah I'm stressed about my parents but like I'm great with us like this Mm -hmm. feels fine and I'm happy and again when I think about maybe what it would feel like to be a queer teen or a teen who's considering coming out or considering exploring new relationships it must be like very affirming to be like oh wait I might meet the right person and I might be totally comfortable and it might not be scary even if this feels like different than what I Mm -hmm. thought that I would do like it might feel amazing right away and I can only imagine and hope that that gives young kids like excitement about what a new relationship could look like Mm -hmm. 
So I liked that a lot. I want to talk a little bit about these other people that are mm-hmm. swirling in Holland's orbit because we've referenced them. Um, we've referenced her experience with coming out. And of course, at the beginning, we mentioned that a lot of it is not so great. I don't know where to start. I think I kind of want to start with her friend Kirsten. Oh, yes. Because <gasps> I feel like we can take care of her quickly and be done and move on from her because I have a lot of questions. So Kirsten is... Holland's like I would say her second best friend after Leah when we meet her her frenemy almost like from the beginning yeah they have all this tension I think Leah and Holland have been friends since they were little and then Kirsten kind of came in and was like a new friend and Kirsten early on is like very clearly talking about how many guys she's dating and she's very proud of that but she's very judgmental about other people who judge her for that and then she's judgmental about everybody else. So we really start to see Kirsten come into play when Cece submits her application for a gay club, as she calls it, at school. And Holland, as the president of the student council, is sort of championing this application that she's filed. And Kirsten is on student council. And she basically goes on a whole rant about how she doesn't want to be part of any sort of agenda that somebody like Cece has. She refers to her as a dyke. Again, these are not words that I would choose to use or I'm comfortable using, but I think it's important to note like sort of the breadth of experience that Holland sees in this book. Um, And a lot of it is negative. Again, this is a friend that she's had for years and she's seeing the side of her, this hateful side of her Mm -hmm. that has not come up before. And I thought it was really fascinating. And maybe it's because they live in what we're meant to believe is a very conservative place but I was surprised that Holland was so shocked when she saw this side of Kirsten because it kind of goes from like this issue never coming up um, and obviously a lot of it just kind of like serves the plot and that's important and we need to have that but it felt very abrupt to me that like it had never come up and then suddenly Kirsten is talking about it all the time and Holland is just so surprised that Kirsten could be so hateful. Like, I was just like, did you never, did she never say anything nasty before? Because I have to believe that if she is saying these slurs about queer people, she probably has negative thoughts about a lot of other people. Mm, I think that's it. I think it's like when you finally put on like glasses, right? Holland suddenly is wakes up to this and suddenly notices because she cares about Cece, I think. And she starts that own process of like something awakening up inside of her. I think she suddenly realizes all these things that her friends say and do that she didn't know were happening before. I think that's a good question. I think she absolutely, Kirsten has absolutely said those things previously and Holland just didn't know. That I think that's probably true. It, it was as if meeting Cece opened Holland's eyes to so much, not only right. in herself, but in the world around her. I pulled out one quote where she's just kind of talking about school and her community and like the homophobia that she's beginning to see because of Cece. She says, how many were there? I wondered mm-hmm. Four, a dozen, the whole school. When had it begun? Had South Gun always been this way? So hostile. We had a strong policy against bullying, but how was that any different from harassment or discrimination? It was all about hate. There should be laws. Were there laws? Can you legislate against hatred? Why hadn't we discussed this in any of my government classes? And I, again, like I felt for her so strongly because I, again, like was raised with 
a mom in particular who was very open with me about her progressive viewpoints and progressive politics. And she always had friends that were gay. But then I was in a high school that was very conservative. Um, And I remember I went to a very big high school, but I remember I think somebody came out maybe when I was a senior and I was like, I didn't think there were any gay people here just because nobody talked about it. And it gets your wheels turning. And I think if you're the kind of kid like Holland is or, or kind of kid like I was, who's very high achieving, feels pressure to like make everything right, to make everybody happy, to make sure everything's fair, you kind of get fired up because you're like, wait, somebody hasn't been right. handling this? Yeah. Like, shouldn't I have learned about this? Wasn't there something that I could do? I could feel her frustration in that moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such a, and it, it it is like that moment where you realize like, oh, there's injustice in the world that is, I think, universal to a lot of young people's lives because you're taught that the world is one way and then you realize the things what you were taught it wasn't accurate yeah she thought that she had it all kind of under control I mean she was Mm -hmm. starting to feel like she was maybe going down a path that she wasn't thrilled about she was starting to question whether or not she really wanted to go to this high tension high pressure college but she was like it's fine you know I know school I know my people I know my community but this has totally changed her view on a lot of things. So that's Kirsten. We hate her. We hate Kirsten. <laughs> she's trash. That's she's, all we need to discuss about. She's trash. She's done. Let's also talk about Seth because I've kind of alluded to my feelings about him. Would you like to share anything else about Seth? He's just kind of a wet blanket. Like, yeah. I feel like he's kind of the stereotype of a teenage boy. Like, literally, he enters her basement where she lives with his pants around his ankles. Like that's all you need to know about Seth. And it is honestly, now that I'm framing it in this, like him at this is a stereotypical teenage boy. I just love that Holland then rejects him. Right. Because like teenage boys don't actually have to be that way. They could be more respectful and he's not. Yeah. And I think what's kind of fascinating about him is that we as readers see him and and through Holland's eyes, we see him in the way that he's acting. But then there's also these like long paragraphs talking about what a quote unquote good guy he is. We get this whole thing about Seth wanted us to go to the same college, the probability of which was less than zero. Seth had goals. He was going to be a microbiologist. By age 25, he'd be happily married with 2.5 kids, a dog, a three car garage, the whole Big Mac with cheese. He said he couldn't stand the thought of us being separated for four years that even if we didn't get into the same college, we should try to stay close, as in proximity. So I I think that, like, he has all these markers of, like, the kind of boyfriend that, you know, any parent would dream that their daughter would have, um, especially in this very traditional sense. But then we see how he's actually acting, which I think we get to see in a lot of pop culture. But I just thought the way that Julianne Peters depicted it was really interesting. And I think that Holland's kind of confusion about whether or not he was a good guy was also sort of fascinating because when she broke up with him she really felt badly she was like but he's such a nice guy like Mm -hmm. I really screwed this up like this is all my fault and I guess there was a part of me that I wanted a moment where she was like yeah he's a good guy he was like a good first boyfriend but like he also was kind of shitty and he was pressuring me all the time like I feel like she took on a lot of the responsibility of the tension that their sexual relationship had added into the mix like she very much was like things were great until we started having sex and like 
I really liked him as a friend and we had this great relationship, but it's like totally kind of my fault that like I'm not comfortable having sex with him. Um, And so I sort of wish that there had been like a clearer moment where readers could have been like, oh no, he's like not that great and Mm -hmm. it's okay that we're breaking up with him. Right. I love that distinction because I think for me reading it, the main thing I picked up on was just like, she's just not comfortable having sex with a man. But there is things like, even if Holland was straight or bisexual or was sexually attracted to men, he could have been much more respectful of her boundaries and her consent in ways that he really wasn't in the book. He was very caught up with his own sort of desires and not necessarily thinking about what would make Holland happy. Yeah, I felt like he was manipulative of her time. As I said, I felt like he was very aggressive with her physically. And I guess in the breakup with Seth, I wish that Holland had felt empowered enough to break up with Seth primarily because she didn't like Mm -hmm. him and didn't want to be with him where instead I feel like she sort of was in a position to break up with him just because of Cece or because she realized that she wanted to be with someone else and I I guess that that happens I've never really been in a situation where like I broke up with somebody for another person and I'm sure that if you are in that spot like you probably feel all those feelings of like I need to own up to the fact that this is about another person and like I need to lead with that. But in this situation, I think it would have been really cool if Holland had sort of been like, you know what? First of all, I wish that you were more respectful of me. Um, And second of all, there's somebody else. And instead, it was all about Holland having to like own up to the fact that there was another relationship kind of right around the corner for her. Right. No, that's such a good distinction. I think, unfortunately, we have come to the part of this conversation where we have to talk about Holland's family. Mm. And especially her mom. And I think there's a conversation to be had about Holland's mom prior to Holland coming out to her and just kind of like the dynamic that's established between them early in the book. We've referred to it a little bit. There's just this like overwhelming pressure on Holland to be everything that her mom didn't get to be. It's like Mm -hmm. if it's like the most toxic version of the Lorelai and Rory Gilmore relationship. Don't you think it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like if Lorelai, instead of being like, I'm so proud of you, I know you can do this and you can represent our family so well. If Lorelai was like, no, you ruined my life and I didn't get to do any of the things that I wanted to do. do, Right. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. So that's kind of how I would set their relationship up. Um, And now her mom has this quote unquote shiny new family. And I'm sure Holland's having some of these feelings of like, I was like the guinea pig, like you had Mm me and we didn't have money and we weren't comfortable and all that you did was push me so hard and now you're married and settled and you have this perfect baby. I think even the fact that Holland was put in the basement so that her baby sister Hannah could take her room is kind of like the textbook don't for blended mm-hmm. families as a member of a blended family. I can say mm-hmm. that. Not cool. <laughs> Please don't do that to your children, to your older children as you have younger children. Don't send them to the basement. That's just bad. And Holland senses that this news about CC is really not going to go well. But I don't think anything could have prepared her or any of us as readers for what happened. Could you share a little bit of your thoughts about how her experience coming out to her mom went and how it was depicted in this book? It was really, it was just awful. It's really heartbreaking. It's, it's still very hard to read. And I think like the reality is this still happens today, right? This book was published in 2003, but we still have these things happening to kids. Her mom beats her and kicks her out of the house. She's not able even to get her things. Um, She has to say goodbye to her baby sister who she loves. I mean, I think in a way 
it's it's I, I, I'm hesitant to say her mom's not a full rounded character after that, because her mom still has shown us so much of, you know, she is someone who had to struggle because she was a teen mother and she had Holland really early. And like you said, she was, you know, didn't have a lot of money when Holland was young. And now she's been able to to sort of live this life and now is pushing Holland to do all these things that she never got to do. But suddenly it just becomes so nasty and evil that she's just filled with so much hate. And we can see it coming because she immediately upon meeting Cece is like, basically, don't talk to that girl. I don't want that girl touching my baby. There's a scene where um, Cece is sort of playing with Hannah and her mom is really uncomfortable with that as if she had some disease that, you know, the baby could catch because Cece is wearing one of her infamous um, gay t-shirts. It's really, it's just a heartbreaking scene. It's just hard to read. Yeah, I pulled out some quotes from that scene. And again, this is why I wanted to note that trigger warning early on. But her mom says things to her like, I didn't raise you to be a lesbian. It's sick, perverted. You are perverted. You disgust me. I want her out of here. Don't touch my baby. Don't you ever touch her again. Um, I hate when I have to read quotes like that on the podcast Uh, but I do think it's important again just to like express some of these experiences that our main character has in this book her mom even goes on to change the locks as Mm. you mentioned like she had left some things at the house she's only given I think 10 minutes to get her stuff and leave and then she tries to go back I think she left money at home because she's like Mm -hmm. basically financially independent Um, and she had to go back to her safe which kind of shows the intensity of the situation that she's in that she has to have a safe she's trying to go back to her safe to get her money and her mom's changed the locks but I think to your point about her mom not being a well-rounded character there is a moment when her mom like kind of expresses a little bit of regret she sends that note through faith and she like wants to talk to Holland as somebody who who grew up with parents who were divorced and and was an only child on my mom's side I can understand the sort of us against the world mentality that I would imagine Holland's mom feels to her daughter Mm -hmm. I think when you grow up in that kind of a situation and you're often one-on-one with your mom, it very much feels like you can figure anything out together because everybody else is always like on the opposite side because it's Mm -hmm. always been the two of you. And so I can feel probably based on my own experience that as frustrated and as angry and as hateful as Holland's mom is like it's, it's not, she can't compute how she would not have a relationship with Holland anymore and I I think their relationship is so toxic I mean there's a moment early in the book where Holland is I forget even what the situation was but Holland was talking about something with her mom and she was saying all of these things that seem like really unhealthy about her and her mom she's like oh yeah I mean compared to most people we have a great relationship so I think they both are a little bit confused about what Mm -hmm. a healthy relationship between a mother and daughter should look like And ultimately, Holland's mom does kind of, like, step up to chat with her, but it ends up being, like, a maddening conversation that goes nowhere, um, where she basically is like, yeah, I mean, you could come back and live here, but, like, I don't ever want to see Cece here. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that you would even expect to be here and sort of to be out and be yourself in our home, I would never allow that. I mean, Cece's parents have rules about things and about like where Holland is allowed to be in their house but Holland's mom is basically like no this just isn't happening like yes Mm -hmm. I know that you told me that you're gay but like I don't want to even acknowledge it and so Holland makes the decision to be like okay if these are the circumstances under which I'm allowed to come home I don't want to be home anymore she says yeah I'd made sacrifices I'd experienced loss but she had no idea what this was costing her because she was losing me and she Mm -hmm. walks out good 
good. I, I think that it just, again, speaks to the fact that I don't know that her mom is, is one faceted. I think that she's a very complicated person. I wish that we'd gotten more of her mom, which feels weird because her mom's terrible. But I felt like there was like something about her mom that I just like still wanted to understand. I think, yeah, I mean, I even just I'm still an optimistic person. Like I think Holland, Helen's mom could could come around. I mean, I think for me, it's it's been a journey and understanding this experience because my mom was very, you know, accepting. My mom was not Holland's mom. And so it's sometimes hard for me to understand why someone like Holland, after receiving that treatment from her mother, would want to continue to have a relationship with her mother. But at the same time, like that is her mother, especially because they grew up together in in, in so many ways um, with her mom being a young mother. I just, I do have hope for her mother in the future, but I think it would take a lot of repair um, and a lot of personal growth. So we haven't really mentioned this at all, but Holland obviously has to figure out how to adapt after she's kicked out of her house. She goes to live with Cece for a while, and then Cece's parents can no longer have her at the house. Um, and so Cece introduces her to the LGBTQ resource center that's local, and they help her find housing where she can live for free. She gets another job. I mean, she really has to get scrappy about how she's going to survive. I don't know that we need to talk about this too much, but I will say um, that I would imagine that, again, in 2003, for kids who found this, this could have been really informative for Mm -hmm. kids that were going through a similar experience or who were maybe worried about what coming out might cause in their families or their relationships. I I think that maybe these are resources that kids wouldn't have known existed in 2003. And so I commend Julian Peters for adding that. I read some reviews about this book that was like too much, like too many different plot lines that they Mm should have really focused on Holland's coming out experience and then also this beautiful love story that she has with Cece. I tend to agree I think there was a lot going on like we didn't necessarily need the like artistic part we didn't need some of the toxic friendships I really would have loved more about their relationship but I do think that like that section about how Holland was able to connect with these resources to help her move into this new phase of her life was was really great yeah I agree I mean to me it's still just like a perfect book because I there's the nostalgia factor and again like as much as I am frustrated by the lack of literature beyond the coming out narrative. I just love this one. I just love it. I'm so glad that you feel that way about this book all these years later, especially knowing how much it's meant to you for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, And then the the really special thing at the end is that Holland is able to like redirect her life on her own terms. She decides to go to what seems to be sort of like a community college locally. um, And she puts her major as undeclared on the forms. And as somebody who grew up thinking that everything had to be declared all the time, I will say that that felt very empowering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we start to close out, I just wanted to share a couple of quotes from the letter from the author. And if you have your original book, I don't know that you have a letter from the author. I don't know. Well, oh, I do. You do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pulled out some quotes and I just wanted to share uh, that it sounds as though Julianne Peters, who is an openly gay author, was approached by maybe her publisher or her editor to write a lesbian love story for teens. Um, and she talks in the letter about how she was very nervous to do it because she felt like it meant that she'd be coming out again on a global scale. And she was very worried that she'd be getting hate mail, especially in the early aughts. Um, I can't imagine how scary that would be. But in the letter, she talks about how she 
she actually didn't get any hate mail. Um, And she says, when Keeping You a Secret was first published, my email box began to fill with hundreds and hundreds of letters. Young readers wrote to tell me how much they loved the book and how closely it paralleled their lives. They shared their own coming out stories, their fears, uncertainties, trials, and triumphs. Like Holland and Cece in the book, more than anything, young people wanted love, to have their love validated and recognized as real. Um, She talks about how straight kids wrote to her and just kind of told her how much they related to the ostracism and the harassment that goes on in this book um, and about older readers who said that they wished that they'd had this kind of literature available to them when they were kids and, and that's certainly how I feel about this book. She closed out the letter by saying, your letters remind me that I need to take my own advice. Many thanks to you readers and writers for your kindness, trust, and encouragement. There is no sequel planned for keeping you a secret, but I do intend to write many books for and about us, books I hope will resonate and rejoice in our lives. I love that. Love her. I love Julianne yeah. Peters. Yeah, I, I love her. You should read her other books too. I will say that she has one book, Luna, that I think that is a book that's like a little bit now it would be, I don't know if it would be considered problematic, but it's a story of a transgender teen, but it's told from the perspective of their sister. So I think that's sort of the criticism that she gets there. But everything else, I highly recommend. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. So you've already mentioned that you feel very relieved that this book holds up. I am relieved for you because I would have hated to ruin this book for you. Um, So I guess I would love if we could close out maybe by you sharing like what you would maybe say to a queer teen who you were passing this book on to or how might you recommend it to them? Mm, That's a really good question. I have no idea. I don't know that I would say much, just that I would want them to come and talk to me and tell me afterwards how they found it. Um, I mean, I think some of the things like the technology is different, but I think other the otherwise, like it really does feel like a book that could happen today um, in a lot of parts of the country. So I hope people continue to read it. You know, it's so funny. I didn't even notice the technology thing. Because there is none in the book. That's the thing. It's just different because they're just calling each other and it, that's, yeah. But I still usually notice that because I read so many of these books now from like all decades and I usually am more in tune with the technology or lack thereof. And I think the fact that I didn't is a testament to like how fresh and timeless this book feels. Because I really didn't even think about it. I mean, some of the, like, the goth and the um, Columbine comments, like, yeah. those certainly are 2003, but otherwise, it's <laughs> Very fresh. Thanks, Julianne mm-hmm. Peters. Other than keeping you a secret, Allison, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? It does not have to be YA. It can be anything that you've really been enjoying. Oh, let me think. I just read, this is completely different genre, but I just read a really lovely book that's called Beyond Survival. That's a guidebook basically for transformative justice, which is looking at, you know, say you know that you don't want to call the police because you feel like it doesn't put your community or it doesn't keep the police don't keep your community safe. If you feel that strongly, but you don't necessarily know what actually does keep my community safe. Um, if I can't call the police, this book has a lot of, it's an anthology collected with a bunch of different essays on that topic. And I just really loved it. That sounds fascinating and very important. Yes, it definitely is. Well, I'll include a link to that book as well as a link to Keeping You a Secret in the show notes for this episode, along with a link to your bookstagram so that our listeners can find you (laughs) and follow along with your reading and all of your other adventures. It was so lovely talking with you, and thank you so much for introducing me to this book that was so special to you and for being so open in your conversation about it. Um, I am very grateful for that. I don't take it for granted, and I'm so glad that we were able to discuss it. Thank you, Allie. This really was such a special book to revisit. And the thing that I 
was going to mention but forgot is I actually read this aloud with my fiance at the start of quarantine to one another. We alternated chapters and it was just the best way to like start out this process of like newly engaged, like stuck in the middle of a pandemic, can't leave the house. And it was like me revisiting the story that I loved as a kid with her. So it's very special. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh, listeners, I wish you could see my mouth, my jaw was open. That is the nicest thing I have ever heard. Had your fiance read it before? No, she hadn't. And it's funny because I was actually just like, I was anxious to share it with her because it meant so much to me as a kid. And then I had that, you know, just so much different emotions about the book. Um, I, when we first started dating was pretty shortly after I had reread it as a older, but still looking back on it, young person. And I, I didn't feel comfortable sharing with, with her when we first started dating, but now, you know, we're, we're in it. So she read it and we both really liked it. Oh, well, if I do say so myself, that might be the nicest thing that SSR has ever facilitated. For anyone. <laughs> I love it. I'm so touched by that. That's so nice. Well, thank you again for sharing that with me and for sharing it with your fiance. And I just appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Allie. This was lovely. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.